Wow. Hey, thank our band with me real quick. They do just a phenomenal job. Wow. I told a friend of mine just a second ago, I said, if you can't preach after that, just hang it up, Jack, and just go to the house. <coughs> anyway, let's have a word of prayer together, and we will dive right in today. Father, we love you, and we are overwhelmed, God, by your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact of your presence in this place. God, for the opportunity to gather, to worship you together, but Father, also to allow you to do work in our lives, God, to allow us to chase after you and to listen to what you have for each of us right where we are today, right here, right now. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak through me, that you would speak again this morning, God, in spite of me, and use this time for your purposes. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. A few months ago, a very close family friend of Julie's and mine called us one day and said, hey, we would like to take y'all to dinner. We have found a restaurant on the other side of town that is absolutely lights out, and we feel like y'all might enjoy that. Julie and I are food people. I don't mean we, we eat food to exist. We, we like celebrate food. How many of y'all are food people? Let me just say, that doesn't mean you're a food e, but you're just food people. Well, we're food people, and so we went to meet this couple friend of ours, very close friends of ours, at a restaurant that we had never been to to eat food that we have never had before. And you could tell when you walked in the door of this restaurant that it was, it was different. It, it, was, it was very, very deliberately decorated, very cool, but not pretentious. The, the hostesses were well attired, but not, you know, anything inappropriate. And the decor was cool. The, the wait staff had on very cool, kind of hipsterish jeans, but not too tight. And uh, they all had on button downs that matched and everything. And the service was absolutely impeccable. We sat down at our table and we walked through the restaurant, walked outside, and it was raining this night. And so we were sitting underneath this long extended patio looking out over the rivers. It flowed out of downtown Austin and Rain was coming down on the tin roof. It was really, really cool. And the waiter came to us and introduced himself. Very, very nice guy, very friendly, but not, you know, too friendly. Have you ever had a too friendly waiter? Like, you think he's looking for a roommate? This, this was not this guy. And uh, he, he, you know, showed us some things on the menu we might like for appetizers, took our drink order. And as he started to turn away, he said, just want you to understand that all of the beef on our menu is sourced from the ranch that belongs to the family who owns the restaurant. So you might want to just keep that in mind as you're ordering. And we, my ears kind of perked up a little bit. And he came back, brought our appetizers, and we placed our order. And you'll remember that I told you it was raining this night. Have you noticed, though, that I haven't told you anything about the food yet? I mean, that's kind of the point of a restaurant, isn't it, is, is the actual food that you eat? Well, when he told us that the beef came from the family ranch. That was kind of immediately where my eyes went to. My, my, my heart actually went to that place on the menu. And so I placed the order, and as I mentioned, it was raining. And as I put the first taste of that beef in my mouth, not kidding, the rain stopped. <laughs> the clouds parted, and I heard the angels singing the hallelujah chorus. It was absolutely a melt-in-your-mouth spiritual experience. It was unbelievable. And as cool as the restaurant was, as incredible as the food was, and impeccable as the service was, the whole thing was made that much greater by the company 
around the table. It would have been a cool experience if I'd have been there by myself or if just Julie and I had been there. But to share this with close personal friends who had thought enough to invite us to share in this experience that they had had just made it that much deeper, that much richer an experience. I believe with every single thing I have that God Almighty has designed and desires the church to be exactly like that dining experience. Now, when I say the church, you and I both know the church is not a building. The church isn't even exactly or exclusively just what happens when we gather within that building on Sunday morning, but we've kind of got infected by our terminology. What do we say? We say we're going to church. Well, we don't just go to church. We are the church. You're the church. I'm the church. Tell your neighbor right now, you're the church. That was terrible. <laughs> Listen, this, this is the 11 o'clock service. Y'all got to sleep in this morning. Five of y'all were on time. We expect you, <laughs> we expect more from you. So seriously, tell your neighbor right now, you're the church. You're the, church. the church is people. That's what the church is. But every time that we gather together for worship, the church gathered is really and truly like a table. It's like a table. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like a good restaurant? Let me just see a show of hands. You like a good restaurant. You know, in our kitchen at home, we have a sign that says, for dinner, I made my favorite thing, a reservation. <laughs> we're, we're restaurant people in our house. That's not, a, that's not a character issue, good or bad. It just kind of is what it is. But let me ask you a different question. How many of you really and truly, and remember, you're in church, so don't lie. How many of you really and truly enjoying, enjoy hosting a dinner party in your home? Let me see a show of hands. It's a lot less of us. Now, again, that's not a character thing. That's just some people have the gift of hospitality. Some people like to have people over. They like to go to the trouble. They like to host people in their home. That's cool. Some people are like, mm, no, I don't think so. And that's fine, too. But the church gathered it is absolutely like a dinner party. We are that table where we invite people to come and enjoy the greatest meal that the world has ever known. Jesus said in John chapter 6, what? I am the bread of life. How many of you know that bread is good? Now, you can do a lot better. Come on. I'm, I'm, I know we're like, oh, carbs and gluten. But seriously, <laughs> bread is good. Jesus says he is the bread of life. He is to be our literal, spiritual life sustenance. He's, the, he's to be the thing that energizes us. And as the church, we are to invite people to taste and see that he is good. We are to invite people to come to the table and enjoy this meal. Now, right now, I know in a room like this, somebody is sitting there thinking to themselves, this is a little bit of a reach. He had one good meal and decided to do a sermon about it. <laughs> well, no. Because Jesus himself, in the book of Luke, tells one of his story illustrations, one of his parables to communicate God's purposes, God's design and desires in the world. It's found in the book of Luke 
chapter number 14. In Luke 14, Jesus tells this story and he uses a table to communicate his point. Look at what he says. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. Now, we're going to continue with that, but real quickly, let me point out to you here that a man prepared a great feast and sent out invitations. The man who prepared the feast in this story represents God the Father. God is our host. It is God's initiative that invites us to the table. It's God's initiative. You can't do enough. I can't do enough things to have God invite us to the table. It was God's grace initiative. We like to say this around here. If you spend the rest of your life doing good deeds, helping little old ladies cross the street at 6th Street in Congress, it will never be enough to earn the favor of God, to earn God's love. God's grace and God's love just are. They're already there. It's not because you've done something or because you're special or a good guy. So many people are like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy. As if God grades on the curve. Well, I'm better than he is. I'm, man, I'm, I, I've never killed anybody so far. But it is God's grace initiative. It's not my works. It's not your works. Nobody earns the invitation. God sends the invitation out to many and he sends the invitation out to invite us into this relationship, to share this meal that is the bread of life. That's what God's getting at. Now, when we gather together as the church family, there really are three chairs at our table. There are three chairs. And the first chair would be, I think we would just say chair number one would be our guest of honor. Chair number one is a guest when you invite somebody over to your house, you don't do that for your own convenience or for your own sake. You do that for them. And so as the church, chair number one represents those who are not yet Christians. There are a lot of people who come to our church every single week who have not yet, not yet stepped over that line of faith. They have not yet committed their lives to Christ. And let me just say this to you, if you're sitting in chair number one, first of all, you are an honored guest in our house. At our table, this is a big deal to us that you've chosen to come to the table today because we think a lot is going on when you choose to walk in here. I think that you are both brave and brilliant if you're in chair number one. You're brave because you kind of look like, I don't know about these religious folks, but I am going to check out the God thing. I'm going I'm I'm to kick the tires and see what is really up with Jesus. I'm not talking about just going to church or just being a good guy, but I want to really and truly see about Jesus. And that takes some very real courage, but it's also brilliant, I think, because you're asking the most important questions the world has ever known. You're asking the questions, why, why am I here? What, is there a purpose to my life beyond my life? Is there something more? Was I created by somebody who genuinely loves me? Or is there just some kind of a life force out there like in Star Wars? That, that takes 
some brilliance. That takes some intellectual curiosity and rigor to be willing to ask those questions. And so for people who sit in chair number one, man, we Lake Hills Church take our hats off to you. We say, thank you for being here. You matter to us. We believe with everything we have, you matter to God and he loves you as is right now. And so chair number one is a big deal. But chair number one is not the only chair. It's important, but it's not the only one. Chair number two, chair number two would be folks who used to be in chair number one, but now they are brand new believers. People who have stepped over the line of faith, they've investigated, they've asked the hard questions, but they've made a commitment to Jesus. They've given their lives to Christ personally. And we have a lot of new believers around Lake Hills Church. Thank God. That's a good thing, by the way. And we don't do this very much as in ever, but I just want you to understand something. In the last 12 months, more than 400 people have said, I'm in with Jesus and committed their lives to Christ. 400 through Lake Hills Church. Y'all are clapping like somebody just chipped in from the 13th fairway. 400 people. I'm talking about lives. Lives that have gone from death to life who have stepped into a relationship with Christ. Now, here's the thing about baby Christians, new Christians. It is so important that we as a church provide a safe place for them to grow up in their faith, for them to discover what that means. What does it really look like day in and day out? Because it's one thing if I go to church, it's another thing if I go to heaven, but hopefully those two things are not closely related in time, chronologically. <laughs> there, there's some distance. What do we do Monday through Saturday? So the new Christians, man, we tip our hat to you and just say, way to go for you taking that step of commitment, taking that leap of faith and diving into the life of Christ, the life of the family of faith. This is a big, big deal. Now, chair number three, you probably have an idea where this is going. If chair number one is the not yet Christian and chair number two are the new believers, chair number three, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, chair number three has got to be the mature Christian, the mature Christian. And if you're really mature, you say mature, but it's, it's kind of a misnomer because I don't know anybody who would truly say they are mature or mature. I think most of us could say we are maturing, and that is chair number three at Lake Hills Church's table, maturing believers, maturing Christians. The Apostle Paul, anybody want to argue with his credentials? Paul was a pretty good Christian. I think we would all agree. The Apostle Paul said, I don't even think I have achieved it yet. I am still straining toward what lies ahead. I'm still reaching for what God has for me in Christ Jesus. So if the Apostle Paul didn't call himself mature, how in the world? Calling yourself mature is kind of like saying I'm cool. If you say you're cool, you ain't. <laughs> or how about this one? I'm very humble. I'm just, you'll never meet anybody more humble than me. (laughs) 
Mature people don't think they're mature. Mature people are striving to grow more in Christ and to live it out. It's important to know that maturity is not the same thing as educated. Maturity is not the same thing as knowing stuff. Now, knowing doctrine matters. Knowing scripture matters. But those things matter only so far as they equip us for the doing of what Jesus told us to do. The book of James says, be not merely hearers of the word, but be ye also doers. It's so important I use the King James. Maturing believers. But now some people will say, Mac, listen, 17 years Lake Hills Church has been around. Be honest. Lake Hills Church, we're a seeker church, right? And what I've noticed is, and, and I understand where that's coming from. It's, a, it's, it's interesting. Most people who ask that question don't have a fat clue what that means. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. We are not a seeker-focused church. We're not. A not-yet-Christ-follower-focused church. We as a church are a seeker-obsessed church. We are seeker-obsessed because the stakes are sky high. The stakes for people who are sitting in chair number one, not yet Christians, not yet believers, the stakes are the difference between life and death, heaven and hell. It's not about being a good guy. It's about receiving forgiveness of your sins and entering into the life that is truly life. That's what this is about. So chair number one is priority number one around here. And it will be that way as long as God allows me to pastor. Now chair number three, don't misunderstand me. Chair number three matters. Chair number three is important. Chair number three is the backbone of the church. Chair number three are the people who get up on Sunday morning and volunteer at 715 no matter the weather. Chair number three people are the people who serve in children's ministry and get thrown up on. It's funny, unless it's you. Chair number three people are the ones who hold babies. Listen, not because we do child care. We don't. We do not believe in child care at Lake Hills Church. Somebody's thinking, I just signed my kid in and dropped him off. What are y'all doing? From the first moment an infant is dropped in our children, I mean dropped off in our children's ministry. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but from the first moment a child is enrolled in our children's ministry, we're doing ministry. We're creating an environment where kids discover the love and unconditional presence of God in their lives and one day make their faith their own so that children are dragging their parents to church rather than parents dragging their kids to church. But that happens because of chair number three people. Chair number three people who are connected into Bible studies or life groups. Chair number three people who serve on a ministry team and don't just sit and soak and put their blessed assurance in a chair every Sunday. Chair number three people who tithe. Chair number three people who pray for their friends to come to the table one day. Chair number three people 
we love, and we honor. But I believe with everything that I have that a maturing Christ follower in chair number three never, ever forgets chair number one. A maturing Christ follower says, what is our church doing to reach chair number one people? A maturing Christ follower says, who can I invite to the table? We talk around here a lot about inviting people to church. Invite, 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 invite. Jesus is talking about this in Luke chapter 14. Look at what it says in verse 21. The servant had gone out and said, the feast is prepared, come to the table. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Time out. Why was he mad? Because the people he had originally invited didn't show up. They didn't come. They started issuing all these excuses. Well, you know, I just bought a team of oxen. I have to go check them out. That's like saying, I just bought a car. I got to go test drive it. What? Had somebody after the first service tell me, he goes, you know what? I bought a car without driving it. That did not end well. <laughs> There's another excuse that I just, I just purchased some land. I have to go inspect it so I can't come to the feast. Now, you don't have to be a real estate executive. If you've ever put a lease down on an apartment, you're in real estate. Who buys real estate without looking at it? That's a crock. Another excuse came back and said, I just got married. I can't make it to the... Now, that's a valid reason. <laughs> but all these people came back with these excuses. A lot of people we invite to the table will not come to the table. That's their choice. But that doesn't mean we don't extend the invitation. What did Jesus say in this story? He said that the host, God the Father, said, go out and invite the blind, the cripple, and the lame. You know who the blind, the cripple, and the lame is? This is great. You and me. Tell your neighbor, you blind, cripple, and lame. You see, what Jesus is saying here, the first invitation went out to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They rejected the invitation. They came up with excuses. So God said, go out and get the Gentiles. Go out and get anybody who will come in, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. Invite them. This is so important. Invite them to the table. So we as a church are all about the invite. We're, that's why we're talking. And heaven help us. Man, look at this great table. Poinsettia, centerpiece. It's Christmas time. Cremus. It's Christmas time with the poinsettias. This is the perfect time of year for us to invite, tell your neighbor, invite, to invite somebody to come to the table. Now, everybody who's sitting on the end of your row, look down at the end of your row. You've got a brown paper bag right underneath your little tukus, okay? That's your bottom, posterior, buttocks. <laughs> underneath that chair is a bag that has a bunch of these invitations in them. It's Christmas. Your friends, your neighbors, the guy who spots you, bench pressing. They're expecting an invitation. They're looking for an excuse to come to church. That's why we've invited Malford Milligan and Joe Dadgum Ely 
to be a part of our Christmas services. To make it an easy, yeah, thank God, that's a huge deal. It's going to be incredible, and it's such an easy invitation. Here. Here. Look. Now, I, I could talk about it and come up with three points in a poem, but I think it might be better for me to show you what an invitation looks like one life at a time. Right where you're sitting, silently, just say, Jesus, I need you. In exchange for your life, I give you mine. If you would, just quietly but definitively raise your hand. Raise your hand to mark this moment so that you know this is real. chapter 14, Jesus said, the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. Our Heavenly Father, the host, the host wants the most possible people to gather at the table as can possibly get there. That's our job. That's our privilege to participate with the host, to go out to the byways and the highways, to compel them to come in. To compel them to come in means that we 
give them a reason that we are attractional as Christ followers on mission. That we give them a reason to be compelled to come in. That means that we're not weird Christian. Hey, want to go to church? Don't do that. That compels them to repel them. But say, hey, I'd love to share with you what's going on in my church. Here's an invitation. The host wants the most. Now, some people have a problem with that. I don't know if God wants everybody. That's not the host. That's not my God. My God wants everybody. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. Everybody you know matters to God. Everybody in your neighborhood is somebody that God wants to invite to the table. You see, servants invite the guests. If I'm a Christ follower, I invite guests to the table. I step outside of myself. The host has said, go invite somebody. I don't go, "Mm mm-mm. Ain't gonna do it. Ain't gonna do it. Makes me uncomfortable. I think about what I've been given. When, when, When I got to come to the table and I moved from chair number one because somebody invited me and I sat down and I kicked the tires and I went from chair number one to chair number two when I was a baby Christian. I was brand new in the faith. I remembered what it was like to not yet know God, but now I once was blind, but now I see. And by God's grace, hopefully and prayerfully, today I'm a maturing believer. But chair number one, chair number one, who do you know who needs to come to the table to sit in chair number one? Because the stakes are sky high. Many of us know that In 1912, the Titanic set sail from England, made a stop in France and then further up the coast before kicking off into the North Atlantic on its maiden voyage. And of course, we know this paragon of technology, the ship that could not be sunk, sank when it hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic and within two hours had floundered sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Now we look back at that and think, man, if they'd only had our technology. But there is a similarity between travel in 1912 and travel in 2014. Categories. Categories of travelers. Even today, I was in Tucson, Arizona this week at a pastor's round table and going in, coming, I got on the plane and And I walked past some people who were sitting in some really big chairs, big leather chairs that looked a little cleaner than the one I was headed for. What? First class. They were in first class. And I saw a couple of them were like pitying me as I walked by them. 
to coach. The Titanic had the same grades, the same categories. There was first class, second class, third class, and then crew. And just briefly, upon departure, first class had 325 people. These were people with names like Astor, Guggenheim. Second class had 285 people. Third class had 706 people. These were immigrants, people looking for a new start in America. And then the crew numbered 913. Now when you see those categories, particularly if you've seen the movie, you know that where people fell in those ranks largely determined whether they were lost or saved that night at sea. But after Titanic struck that iceberg in the North Atlantic, there were really only two categories. There were lost and there were saved. After the iceberg, there was no first class. There was no second class. There was no third class. It was lost and saved. And that night, saved numbered 713 people. But lost was 1,516 people who perished in those frigid waters. Lost and saved is why chair number one matters so much to us. The stakes are too high. And so I want to ask everyone, if you will, just bow your heads for a moment. And in this moment, if you know that you have personally and definitively moved from chair number one to chair number two or even number three at some point in your life, then I want to invite you to be praying for the people that God has placed in your life for his purposes, the people that you know who need an invitation to the table. But if you're here today and you're in chair number one, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to move to chair number two right now, to step over that line of faith and to trust Jesus more than you trust yourself more than you trust your accomplishments, more than you trust your family, more than you trust your bank account, more than you trust anything in this world. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and begin the adventure of living life in a relationship with him. You don't have to pass a test or go through an elaborate ceremony. You just have to surrender every part of your life to him. The only one who will never take advantage of that surrender. But he will use it for his glory and your good. If that's where you are today, then I invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to him. 
in your own words, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. In exchange for your life, I give you mine. Jesus, I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. To begin right now living in relationship with you forever. And I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. Because we're on holy ground right now. As God's moving in people's lives. But very briefly, if that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's the most important, the most significant moment. And it's a moment that you need to mark down in your heart and in your mind to know that it's real. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed for just a moment, if you just prayed that prayer of surrender, that prayer of commitment, I want to invite you just to raise your hand. Just to raise your hand and hold it up for just a moment as you mark it in your life to celebrate it, to know this is real. You know, I mentioned earlier in the message a number of people who had committed their lives to Christ this year, but you need to remember that our heart is the heart of heaven. All of heaven celebrates, the Bible says, when one comes to faith. When one, all of heaven. And because heaven is our example, because our prayer is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as a church, we celebrate what heaven celebrates. And so as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.